Is this the idea, if I, if I can interrupt, just, is, is the idea here for this task force, though, to um, sort of oversee the use of AI tools within the government of the state? And then through that, you just become smarter about it and you also recognize the risks. So therefore, yeah. you can you can leverage that to, to you know, to, to write protections around it. Does that make sense? It's that and more. So okay. it is certainly that to do to do to deliver government services for our residents in a responsible, um, if more hyper efficient way. But it's also broader in terms of where's the regulatory head and what are we right. going to do to attract uh, research and companies and jobs on that one. I mentioned Princeton University. We, we announced uh, in December uh, that we're going to form uh, basically an a generative artificial intelligence hub co-sponsored by Princeton University, one of the great research in one of the great universities period uh, anywhere, along with the state of New Jersey through our Economic Development Authority. We think a, a real key here is talent and the talent right now is overwhelmingly located in the Bay Area in California. And we think there's no reason why we can't become again alongside Princeton uh, a second talent hub for generative artificial intelligence, which will have huge positive impacts on our ability to attract the right research, the right talent, obviously the right companies that will plant their flag uh, here in Jersey. Welcome to Paychecks Thrive, a business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward. Here's your host, Gene Marks. Hey everybody, it's Gene Marks and welcome back to another episode of the Paychecks Thrive podcast. We have a very, very special guest here, uh, the governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, who we are, um, uh, you know, have something in common in the sense that I do have a house in New Jersey, so I do pay taxes to you, governor. Uh, I want to be on record of that, although I do live in Philadelphia. Um, and we have some topics to talk about. I mean, as, as I said before we even started, you know, recording this conversation, our, our audience are, you know, business owners. I mean, and, and I think this conversation appeals to people obviously not just in the state of New Jersey, but all around the country. Um, you have made some announcements and some, some initiatives regarding AI. And um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about that. First of all, have, have you played at all with ChatGPT or any AI tools? A little bit. Um, I was having a conversation with one of my colleagues, the Attorney General, uh, Matt Placken, and he uh, yesterday, and he noted that uh, it's not quite, in his opinion, yeah. ready for prime time. He he either fed my name in or his name in, and it came up with some some misfires in terms of biography. <laughs> but yeah, we, we, more importantly, our administration is all over it right now. Uh, and in fact, we had a cabinet meeting recently, and we decided we're all going to take a, a deep dive training course in January. Uh, we, we are it's it's transforming, and it will transform all aspects. Forget state government. It'll transform all aspects of society over the yep. next number of decades. Yep, it really will. And I'm glad to hear that you're doing that. And I do strongly recommend that everybody does take a deep dive into it. Um, if you want to cough up the extra 20 bucks a month, the uh, the GPT plus version, which is not the free version, it's it's better. And I, I can't describe why. It's just it's just better and more accurate, but okay. you're not going to be writing legislative policy using ChatGPT yet, but Amen. it's a great tool. Um, it's scary though, right? I mean, and, yeah. and a lot of people have concerns. 
So um, tell us a little bit about what some of your initiatives are. One is a task force. That yeah, so, so I want to tell you, if like your listeners, Gene, about both the task force and what we're doing with Princeton University. On the task yep. force, which we announced several months ago, um, we're bringing together sort of a whole of government approach. Uh, and it's a mistake to think about artificial intelligence, either A, as a technology, or B, just the purview of our techies. This is uh, a realm more than a technology, number one. And number two, it infiltrates, as we said a minute ago, all uh, elements of society. And we said, listen, when we put the task force out, we said, we have a three-legged approach to this realm. Number one, there's an economic development opportunity, jobs, companies, the research getting done in New Jersey. I'll come back to that. Two, is how we deliver government services responsibly, but more efficiently. You think of call centers, you think of applying for your unemployment insurance benefit. Uh, artificial intelligence can impact both of those in a dramatic way. And then thirdly, the regulatory slash ethics side of this. Um, you know, as you rightfully point out, if it's in the wrong hands, it, it can be scary. So what are we gonna do to put the guardrails around this. It's right. our current uh, guess that Congress won't act right. if we had to predict. So this will default to states acting and we'll see how this looks over time. Is this the I, idea, if I, if, if I can interrupt, I just, is, is the idea here for this task force though to um, sort of oversee the use of AI tools within the government of the state and then through that, you just become smarter about it and you also recognize the risks. So therefore yeah. you can... You can leverage that to, to, you know, to, to write protections around it. Does that make sense? It's that and more. So okay. it is certainly that to do, to, de to deliver government services for our residents in a responsible, um, more hyper efficient way. But it's also broader in terms of where's the regulatory head and what are we right. going to do to attract uh, research and companies and jobs. On that one, I mentioned Princeton University. We, we announced uh, in December uh, that we're going to form uh, basically an, a generative artificial intelligence hub co-sponsored by Princeton University, one of the great research in one of the great universities, period, uh, anywhere, along with the state of New Jersey through our Economic Development Authority. We think a, a real key here is talent and the talent right now is overwhelmingly located in the Bay Area in California. Mm -hmm. And we think there's no reason why we can't become, again, alongside Princeton, uh, a second talent hub for generative artificial intelligence, which will have huge positive impacts on our ability to attract the right research, the right talent, obviously the right companies that will plant their flag uh, here in Jersey. So lots of questions about this. So um, back to that talent, you know, to the intelligence hub. So what will be the role of the government in this? Are you providing funding? Are you providing other resources or merely guidance? Yeah, um, we're, we're providing, uh, as they say, we have skin in the game to yeah. be determined what that specifically looks like. But this is not the first hub of the, that we've uh, formed. We've got a big one getting built out in New Brunswick. We'll have another one in Jersey City. Another one soon, I think, in Hoboken with different uh, one in Newark with different approaches. But if you look at our prior investments through the Economic Development Authority, they tend to be in the 20 to 25 million dollar 
range. So we're putting real money in this, mm-hmm. as will Princeton. Uh, and it, this will be under the theory in this realm, we don't know what we don't know. Right. It's it's um, it's charter, if you will, will be very much wide open. Right. One other thing I'd say, Gene, is we 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 along with Princeton announced that we'll have a kickoff symposium on April 11th on campus at Princeton University, uh, all around this this hub and and the formation and where this is going uh, forward. Is um when you talk about hubs, um, are, are we talking about actual physical structures like we you will be building buildings to house this, or is it more uh, resources to help fund startups and and research? No, it'll be, uh, I, I think it's fair to say it'll ultimately be bricks and mortar temporary headquarters either on or near the Princeton campus to begin with. But I would be surprised if this does not turn into a, a newly constructed entity down the road. Uh, we, we definitely, both Princeton and we, I think, want to put a bright light and stark relief around this, that this is its own entity. It'll feed on all aspects um, of of. Princeton's uh, storied schools and, and departments as it sure. will, just as it will on all aspects of state government and society, uh, but it'll be its own entity. Uh, Governor, this is great stuff, right? I mean, it's, it, it really is good. It's nice to see you take initiatives on this. Is, um, is this based on any other states? Like, are you working with any other, you know, of your colleagues that are running states that are doing something similar or... Uh, is New Jersey one of the first to, you know, to do something like this? I, I think we're one of the first, Gene. I mean, the, I mentioned the Bay Area. To give you an yeah. idea how dominant this is, since 2019, venture capital money into artificial intelligence and how, you, how that broke down geographically. The Bay Area, $23 billion into generative AI. Hmm. Number two is New York City at a billion. Right. So... And, and then you ask yourself, well, why is that the case? And I went out there and had sort of a seminal dinner in, in the Bay Area earlier, uh, early in 2023. And I asked, why are you all here? And the singular reason was talent. Yeah. So you can't ignore the influence that Stanford and University of California, Berkeley in particular, have had on that region. There's no reason. By the way, Princeton is almost to the mile, the same distance from New York City as Stanford is from San Francisco. There's no reason with Princeton's uh, extraordinary talent heritage and New Jersey's uh, deep innovation economy, there's no reason why we can't come up with that second hub. So we're not mimicking anybody in as much as we're divining why the Bay Area is such a locus for that talent. Um, that's exciting. Let, let, let's let's switch back to this task force, though, that 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 was established uh, earlier this year. Um, can you give us an update on that? I mean, to me, um, it, it's all about the people that are going to be on this task force. And, you know, the hope is that they're they're smart and experienced and good people that um, are going to be coming up with some of these. Uh, you know, I don't know if regulations is the right word, but, you know, you know, oversee some of the developments in A.I. within the state. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about who yeah. you've got in mind or who is already in place. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a group that exists and, and will only get bigger. It's it's chaired by our chief innovation officer Beth Nobeck, who is uh, has had experience on both sides of the Atlantic in the Obama administration. She advised Angela Merkel, where I was the U.S. ambassador uh, many years ago in Germany. 
Um, she is, uh, she's been in my administration from day one. She's a renowned expert in innovation and increasingly in generative artificial intelligence. And it's also populated with folks from across government, from the attorney general to the commissioner of the Department of Labor and Workforce Development, and many spots in between under the theory that it will impact all of us. So let's make sure we have those folks at the table. Similar approach, by the way, that Princeton Back to the Hub is taking. It's wide open in terms of the schools that will have some amount of involvement in, in this hub because, again, big mistake uh, to think of this as just the purview of the techies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Th this has got to be all of us, uh, particularly given what's at stake, both the challenges as well as the enormous opportunities when you look at un uncurable diseases or climate change or you, you, you pick the, the challenges that face mankind. There's enormous, is there enormous danger and, and concern? Yes, there's enormous likewise opportunity uh, for, uh, for the planet. So that'll give you a sense of how we're thinking about it. That's helpful. You know, uh, you know, there is, and please don't take this the wrong way. When I, when I watch some of the congressional testimony over this past year uh, of some of the technology people, you know, testifying in front of Congress, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Sam Altman's and some of the other leaders in AI, and they're, you know, they're testifying to just, you know, layman Congress people, you know, who are Luddites about this stuff, you know, yeah. it's a little terrifying as a, as an individual uh, saying like, oh my God, I'm just, I don't know if these politicians are even going to get this stuff. Like these tech guys are going to run all around them. And I do have that same fear with the intelligence task force to be, to be frank. So I, yeah. so how do you address that? Like, how do you answer that question of, yeah. you know, can we rely on on you know, on on you in the government to be smart enough as those tech people are? Yeah, I mean the European Union put out a huge master regulatory plan in December, um, and but then said it'll take a year and a half to two to implement. Yeah, and that might as well be a hundred years for generative yeah. artificial intelligence. Right, you have to start somewhere, um, and and I, I'm not. A, a tech guy. So it's, you have to have a mix of folks who are common sense, folks you trust, but folks who really understand the technology as well. So that you've got to have a mix of, of folks on, on something like this. It, it, it is akin, and I think then some, and I say then some with a big uppercase, if you and I were having this conversation 30 years ago about the internet, yeah, uh, it would have been very early days Yep. And I'll speak for myself, Gene. I don't want to splash any mud on you. I wouldn't have known. I, I wouldn't have known what I didn't know. Of course. Yeah, and, of course. and so that's that's something where you've got to. So you, that that requires you to have the right mix of people, including the the folks who understand the technology, but also the folks who understand the implications of that technology. And that's what we're that's what we're striving for. Um, final question on that, and then we'll turn to some other topics. But you know, long after you've retired from politics and you're out playing golf somewhere, and you look back on uh, the, the this AI hub with Princeton, and you look back on this AI task force, um, what would make you say in the future, as you're looking back, like this was a really good thing, like this yeah. this turned out to be what I wanted it to be? What would make you feel that way? If I'm playing golf, I would have had to learn how to play golf. Let me just say that. Uh, <laughs> Fair uh, enough. Uh, <laughs> I'm a squash player myself. <laughs> uh, 
I think you would have seen success on the three legs of the stool that we outlined when we formed the task force. Okay. One that, in fact, New Jer- we were right that New Jersey with Princeton's help, but not just Princeton, Bell Labs just renewed its commitment to New Jersey in December as well, which is a huge deal. And that's at, in New Brunswick. And then the AI hub is in Princeton. You're going to have that Route 1 corridor. So one that we were right about the the, 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 the talent hub and that we attracted the, the great minds and, and businesses, big and small. Secondly, that we delivered government services responsibly and in a hyper-efficient way, uh, particularly the retail aspects of our government, things like motor vehicles, unemployment benefits at uh, Department of Labor, just to pick two examples. Okay. And, and thirdly, that we got the regular the, 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 the area where you're concerned, as, as am I, I have to say, yeah. that we got the regulatory aspect of this right. Um, and when I say we, I, I would hope as a nation, I would hope as a planet, but I mean more specifically that New Jersey figured out how to both get our arms around it, but also not constrain, constrain the upside opportunity. Well, it's a great answer, and I really do hope it, it serves as a model for even the federal government to take on because this is it's a national issue. So, um, so I thank you. It's great work, and and we'll keep a close eye on that. Let's let's move to a few other topics that I wanted to run by you. Uh, this one has to do with liquor. Um, I know I'm not inviting you out for a shot and a beer, uh, but I, I understand that you um, you you recently held you know a roundtable discussion, or you know this year. And you've been having you know, discussions about modernizing New Jersey's you know, liquor licensing laws. Uh, other states have similar issues. Um, uh, New Jersey, you know, obviously needs some help. T- tell us what you mean, though, about modernizing the yeah. laws. What's the problem? Well, the problem is a big one. And I'm hoping uh, this will be airing, I believe, in January. I'm hoping yeah. that we're going to be making real progress in the month of January. So the problem is the following. We're still operating under prohibition era uh, liquor license uh, reality in New Jersey, meaning that it's capped uh, at one license per, I think, 3,000 residents. And depending on the town you're in, these licenses have become so expensive that they are, A, there are too few of them, and B, they're way out of the reach of the mom and pop uh, bar or restaurant. So the notion is to responsibly, over time, open up that reality. If you look at other states that have done this, they've transformed their main streets. And that's what this is all about. So that's that's the sort of problem as well as the hope. Um, I think we're going to end up doing this in stages, if I had to predict. So I'll give you an example of what I think is achievable um, uh, in this current time frame. I think we'll be able to unburden breweries, wineries, distilleries hmm. from some silly restrictions that they're under. Secondly, I think we'll be able to be much better uh, with license liquor licenses in malls uh, where it's artificially constrained. And then thirdly, I think achievable now, there are what they call pocket licenses, many hundreds of them, which uh, are not active. Uh, which are sort of in suspension. So getting them freed up and distributed in a in a, a smart way, I sure. think those three steps in the near term are achievable. 
And I think ultimately we can we can do the whole shooting match, which is ultimately raise, if not eliminate, the caps. But you have to do it responsibly. That's the last thing I'd say, Gene, because yeah. in fairness, there are mom and pops out there who actually bought these licenses yep. 40, 50 years ago. And you're in a town like Montclair. That's worth a million dollars right now. So we have yep. to make sure as we open this up, we deal with that group of folks responsibly. And I'm confident that we can and will. Yeah, you know, there's a guy near my house in Margate that uh, he has the liquor store there in Margate. And I mean, it's a gold mine for him. I can't imagine him yep. being thrilled that this happens. So you have to take that into consideration. It, I have to ask you about this. Is a, uh, you know, it, It's a controversial issue to pick up. I mean... You know, you know, there, there's a lot of debate about, you know, about drinking and liquor. And, you know, I mean, Ocean City is a dry town still. Yep. Um, and yet, you know, and of course, it's a mob scene at the at the liquor warehouses, you know, before you get over the bridge, you know. So I you know, and but and this does have a big impact on a lot of mom and pops and a lot of, you know, a lot of businesses. Sure. Why, if I get why did you choose this issue? Like, why? Yeah. Why was this an important one for you? Well, remember, we've chosen a lot of issues uh, over right. now. St we're starting our seventh year at, uh, right. uh, um, at this point. So so we've, this is not the only fight the, that we've picked up. It's the, it's the overwhelming evidence in places that have done it before us okay. uh, in terms of the transformation of Main Street. And by the way, Ocean City is, is a good example. I grew up in a dry town. It was referred to, I'm dating myself, by Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show as the wettest, driest town in America. <laughs> I know. Uh, Sounds like Ocean City, actually. You might say the same thing about Ocean City. I agree with yes. you. Um, but, you know, towns like that have every right to be dry or not as they, as they choose to. Uh, but we're artificially holding back main streets around the state. We are the quintessential small town uh, state. We've got 565 municipalities spread across 9.3 million people. Our biggest town, Newark, has 330,000 people. So yeah. we're very much not like New York with New York right. City or Massachusetts with Boston. So right. those main streets matter, whether you're down by Philly in a Haddonfield or, or, uh, or uh, you pick a boardwalk town that does sure. uh, have liquor or uh, Montclair, I mentioned, or Westfield. Those towns are, are quintessential small Collings, Collingswood down by you. Uh, th these are quintessential American Main Street towns. And let's yep. make sure that we can give them everything they need to punch at the weight they deserve to punch at. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, we only have a few minutes left, um, but I, I, I did want to ask my, my final question um, has to do with unions and unionization. Um, there, there's no question that, um, on a federal level, uh, you know, it, it is definitely more of a pro worker environment than I've seen in recent memory. Um, the NLRB is, is very active. Uh, you know, it, it's a first instinct for a lot of our listeners, a lot of our audiences to sort of like a knee jerk reaction to unionization. Uh, oh, it's going to cost us more money or lose us control or make a more confrontational, you know, environment between us or our employees. But, You've long, you've been a longtime supporter of unions, and there are a lot of good that unions not only bring to the economy, but also to businesses of all sizes. And I just want to give you the chance to, to, to give a pitch. You know, wh yeah. why have you been such a longtime fan yeah. of unions? And speak to me as a, as a business owner and yeah. our audiences that, that run businesses. Why, why should we also, you know, yeah. you know, 
look at the bright the, the bright spots of unionization. So it turns out, uh, and New Jersey's living proof of this, you can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Meaning we can be on the one hand, and I'll come back to why I believe in this so much, the quintessential uh, organized labor state in America. I don't think there's any state that has got a, a stronger labor tradition than we have organized labor. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, as we sit here, we are at an all-time high in the amount of small businesses that exist in New Jersey, up okay. dramatically since the end of the pandemic. And both of those can exist side by side. Um, why am I a bull on unions? And by the way, you're absolutely right. The um, support for unions nationally is as high as it's been since the mid-1960s. Yeah. So since the Johnson administration, we've, it's yeah. pretty stunning. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and unions went through decades where you folks were afraid to say the U word, uh, but that's no longer the case. The big reason why I get to it, and it, it, it's an overwhelming reason, and the data is unambiguous, that the, the ebbing and flowing of organized labor matches 100% with the ebbing and flowing of the strength of our middle class. It is the door through which millions of families have walked through into the middle class. There are many other reasons, your reliance on quality, uh, health and benefits, or pensions. Uh, and when you've got a, when you've got someone who's getting paid the proper amount for their day's work and they're getting the benefits that give them security in their family, guess what? They're a much stronger contributor to the economy, to society. Yeah and to the yeah. very small businesses that are also flourishing in New Jersey. So you, you can have it both ways. And by the way, folks know this, there are different types of union. There are the public sector unions, there are the service unions, there are the building trades. Um, so there are sub subcategories across the spectrum, but they all contribute mightily to the security, strength, and growth of our middle class. As do the small businesses, by the way. And yeah, so they are both, not either or the uh, living in Philadelphia. I mean, it's very strong building trades unions, you know, labor unions around here and contractors. And uh, my clients in the construction industry, I mean, they, they lean heavily on the unions to provide experienced, skilled workers as well. Um, so th- that is, you know, it depends on the union that you're dealing with. But you do there's upsides to businesses because they, you know, they, they get a better quality employee, if I can, yeah. you know, if I can say that. Yeah, I think that makes they're it trained. Difference. If you're building yep. something, it gets built right and it will yep. last. And ultimately, the investment you make, the so-called investment you make in paying up for union labor more than pays off for itself over the life of that project. And it's the same concept, I guess, with minimum wages. I know that, you know, you've also been, you know, you're very much of a leader in, in asking for and, and getting, you know, higher minimum wage for workers yep. in the state. Um, and again, happy employees uh, stay longer at jobs uh, yeah. and they spend money, right? Yeah, they, they spend money. And, and when we were trying to get the $15 minimum wage, which, by the way, we finally achieved this month. Yep. Um, a lot of folks said, hey, you're going to put a lot of people out of business. And it turns out, again, you can have an and both reality. Now we're over $15 an hour on the one hand. And number two, small businesses are booming like never before in the state. Yep. Fair enough. Governor Phil Murphy, thank you very much for speaking with me. You're doing great work and uh, we appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me, Gene. 
Everyone, you've been watching and listening to the Paychecks Thrive Podcast. My name is Gene March. Thank you so much for joining us. If you need any advice or tips or want to suggest a guest for a future episode, please visit us at payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics. Again, thanks for watching or listening. See you again soon. Take care. Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? Please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychex can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care. This podcast is property of Paychex Incorporated 2024, all rights reserved.